guess who's back? Back again. Hit Factory here. My name is Aaron. My name is Carly. And uh, we are very thrilled to be ringing in the new year, our very first episode of 2023, uh, with a very special guest, literary manager and producer, Jared Murray is joining us today. Jared, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm honored. Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year to happy you. Happy New Year. And folks, we are currently broadcasting from the Folksel of the soon-to-be decommissioned USS Missouri. We are being held hostage by a group of terrorists. Uh, the sprinkler system has been activated, and uh, we are taking on water. Our only hope, as we see it, is in a lowly cook who makes a mean bouillabaisse, uh, but insofar as I'm aware, doesn't really possess any other knowledge or skill that might be able to uh, to help us or, or him in this current scenario. Incorrect. He is a tactician. Oh. He is a, like... Uh, makeshift bomb maker. He has lots of other skills. Well, this is a, this is news to me because I looked through all the files for all the personnel on the ship, and I didn't see any of this. Well, those files are lying. They may have even been locked away in the <laughs> in the admiral's quarters. Wow. Well, this is exciting. Uh, in the meantime, while we're waiting to be rescued uh, by this lowly cook, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the film Under Siege. The 1992 action thriller starring Steven Seagal, Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Busey, directed by the great Andrew Davis, better known probably for his 1993 action masterpiece, The Fugitive. Uh, but before that, he was uh, a very accomplished action journeyman, did this film, also did uh, Steven Seagal's debut Hollywood feature, big breakout feature, Above the Law couple of other films to his name as well. And Jared, you uh, suggested that we talk about this one. And I have to ask just at the top of the show here, why is Under Siege an important film to you? What does it mean? Well, first of all, uh, I, we need to make this fast because I, I need to go check on my pies that are cooking. So uh, um, I, can, I can smell no. them smoking already. <laughs> They're burning up. Um, They're burning up, Jared. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, I was, I'm, I'm, I grew up in Alabama, which is where Under Siege was shot. The USS Alabama is the USS Missouri in the movie. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, uh, it's a museum. Uh, it's, it's docked in Mobile Bay. I grew up in a, in a town about 20 minutes away. We would go to, we went on like maybe three or four field trips when I was in, when I was in school to the, to the USS Alabama. It's always been kind of a fascinating one for me. Like it's it's probably next to speed, like one of my favorite like location specific like diehard ripoffs. Um, and like it's it's interesting. It's almost like I'm not even that big of a Seagal fan. Like I, I, I it, it, the movie works in spite of him. I think uh, yeah because you know because the villains are so strong because the you know like it feels like a you know it feels like a legit movie like the photography's like stunning i think the yes. like the the uh the the outs the exterior shots of the um of the of the ship like as they're like welding and like doing all that like a, a, that's that stuff looks great like uh, the, yeah. the nighttime photography looks 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 really good and so it's it it's a it's a fascinating one to like revisit every so often it's also kind of a kind of an influential movie because david davis got the fugitive off of this yeah brought tommy lee jones in 
you know, Andy Davis had this reputation of, uh, you know, working with, let's say, let's say limited uh, actors, you know, Chuck, you know, Chuck Norris's best movie, Code of Silence, mm-hmm. um, uh, Above the Law, and then The Package, which is great, um, Tommy Lee Jones yeah. and Gene Hackman. Um, Two of my favorite then, actors of all time. Mm-hmm. And then Under Siege, Lee still, you know, that's the beginning of like Tommy Lee Jones being in every single, every other movie in the 90s. Yes. Um, uh, and you see, like you see glimmers of oh I guess most importantly this leading to uh, Seagal making his directing debut on on Deadly Ground in a couple years right. a couple years after this <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but you see like uh, glimmers of uh, of Tommy Lee Jones of like you see glimmers of Sam Gerard in this performance you see Roy Fultrick yes. from The Client you see Two Face yes. like all, everything everything kind of like starts here I think uh, for, with with as far as like his, you know, him becoming like a, cause he wasn't like, he was totally Jones is a guy who was like around. I remember him being in movies, but like not, mm-hmm. you know, not to this, not to that extent, you know, and it sort of catapulted him into a different stratosphere. Yeah. He's an interesting actor to track the career of because um, I feel like his most important like period of, of output happened when he was in his like 50s 60s in the 90s Mm. um but he was in you know eyes of laura mars and had been acting since the 70s rolling thunder rolling thunder Mm -hmm. um and but you're right jared like he's he he wasn't like that household name until um until uh this film and then as you said all of the all of the doors that that opened for him and all of the different characters and you do get to see what an incredible range he has in this movie like he's not just a madcap villain the whole time he also delivers some stirring dialogue he's smart he's capable um but he's also like super wacky <laughs> and and yes. maniacal yeah he's incredible he was for lack of a better term Jonesen for like an award here at the beginning of the nineties. Like it was. he's, he's transcendent in this movie. He totally is. But then like, you know, it, I guess, you know, it, it's an action movie. So it doesn't necessarily get like the, the awards recognition probably, you know, it, it gets a couple of Oscar nominations in sound, sound design and sound oh, editing. Oh, okay. Uh, but glad to see him reteam with, with Davis the following year to like finally land it with Sam Gerard. Cause that, that's just like a pitch perfect actor character relationship in that one and um for me like my my 90s villain hall of fame action villain hall of fame is you know caster troy yes uh, yes howard, <laughs> howard payne in speed uh mm-hmm. t1000 ed harris and the rock cyrus the virus and and stranix like that's my yeah. you know i think those are the like those are my guys uh that's and, a solid list could, my friend you could you could tell you could tell there's so much going on with but you know it's not like Busey, Busey's Busey. He's, he's a, you know, he's also great, but it's like a, you know, it's a different kind of role or different kind of requirement for the role um, that he, you know, he's not bringing, he's not bringing much else beyond him being Busey. And I feel Mm -hmm. like the, um, uh, the, I think the, the most interesting villains are like guys with like a guys with like a code, you know, like you guys tried to kill me. Therefore, like, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, get you guys back. And, you know, or, and Ed Harris, Ed Harris and the rock, like similar, you know, like he was doing that for veterans, you know, mm-hmm. just going about it the wrong way. I think those are, those are, those are my favorite kind of villains. 
Yeah, and I think that's what makes Tommy Lee Jones... Um, I don't think he's just doing better acting, but I do think his character is more interesting than Gary Busey's character. Um, as you said, I, a couple of people were like, Gary Busey like stole the show in this. He's awesome. Like him and Tommy Lee Jones. And I was kind of like, mm, he's fine. Like he's there and he's being Gary Busey, but like, it's totally Tommy's show. And I think like when I think of other roles that, Busey has done where I think he gets to do more and um and gets to like lean into his Buseyness more like they're not even necessarily bigger parts I'm thinking of one role in particular in the firm which is very small um and I and yet I love him in that movie Mm -hmm. but in this film he was just kind of like okay for me I was like happy to see him but I was also like I don't care about you as much as I do other people he does yeah. get the one like certifiably weird like Busey moment in this <laughs> that like it's hard to tell whether this is because I mean it it works so significantly into the plot in terms of kind of you know like him playing up this sort of like buffoonishness and so everyone is sort of like unsuspecting of him at the beginning but when he comes out in drag and like does the dance in front of uh, you know uh, Bill and and the band and everything it just feels like a Busey thing. Like it feels like the kind of thing that Gary Busey would just be like, I want to do this. Yeah. Like, this is something I, I need to yeah. do now. Yeah. Um, Cause it, he, just, not, I mean, he doesn't need, all he needs to do is go get the captain. Right. Like, right. like I'm going to escort <laughs> the captain. Like there's, uh, totally there's, there's no other. Yeah. <laughs> just him just wanting to, wanting to do it, which, you know, more power to him. More power to him. I mean, it seems like he has that kind of pull, you know, we talk about like, uh, you know, there's that line in both Point Break and Apollo 13 where Bill Paxton says that he could eat. He's so hungry he could eat the ass end of a rhino. And apparently it happened because Busey was on set and like suggested that that's the line that Bill Paxton say. And he kind of coerced Ron Howard into letting it slide. But it works. Yeah. And this wow. one, I, I could totally see him just being like, I'm just going to dress up like a lady <laughs> and do a silly dance. I think it would work well for the carriage. I think it would be a fun way for me to to you know distract from the fact that i'm being so evil the rest of the movie i think it's also important in this particular story because the question of these two villains sanity does uh come into play Mm -hmm. later in the movie um and is part of kind of their subterfuge right which is that they're uh you know sort of pretending that they are these like crazy guys who just want to like steal some nuclear warheads and like shoot up Honolulu. And while that is something that almost ends up happening and that Tommy Lee Jones does eventually try to execute, that's not really his primary goal. He's kind of like pulling a fast one on the people back at the Pentagon to make them think that he's like, you know, this like, jilted vietnam vet that uh uh you know has has been um banished from the cia and is now like taking his vengeance and he's trying to start a revolution but really he's just trying to make money off of selling american warheads to countries who will pay for them which is pretty sane and he's his mania tommy lee jones's mania stranix's mania is different than gary Busey's, and i think that's important for for this film to work the tension between those two yeah for sure. and there's also there's also a, a subtext of uh like jones's casting like you know or met a bit of meta you know like 
meta-ness to it about um you know Tommy Lee Jones being our Gore's roommate uh, right. at Harvard back in the day. What about that? Yes. And, oh my and, god. He lived such an interesting life even before yeah. he was acting, yes. man. Like and like you know this the him him wearing the 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 studded uh jacket and the like tie-dye shirt and like you know listening to Jimi Hendrix on the soundtrack like this sort of like flower power kind of you know as subterfuge you know to this other you know and there's there's also like a it doesn't really do anything with it but like you know the, the sort of our military's manpower or lack thereof like post gulf war which like you yes. know which which is also an element to it which it doesn't really you know it doesn't no really no real bearing on the on the plot but those things are kind of there you know floating towards the surface i think it was the final voyage of america's mightiest battleship what's on this helicopter this little sweetheart miss july 89 god i love this business I love you. the party was wild love you they really knocked him dead Imagine this arsenal of tactical nuclear weapons falling into the wrong hands. The Pentagon never did. Four minutes ahead of schedule. Damn, I'm good. Now, a team of terrorists have taken over. Wake up the president. But there's just one thing they didn't count on. The cook. Like some special forces guy or something. No, I'm just a cook. Oh my god, we're gonna die. This is not the work of a cook. I want you to coordinate your efforts with us. Yes, sir. I see that you completely disobeyed my orders. Roger that. Ryback is an ex seal, expert in martial arts, explosives. Stand back! Weapons and tactics. I also cook. The Nimitz is tracking two tomahawks just launched from the Missouri. Where are they headed? Honolulu. Happy trails. Steven Seagal. I know you, don't I? Tommy Lee Jones. Been a long time. I'll see you in hell, Santa Boy! Under Siege. I won't call it the inciting incident, but an impetus for what happens is the decommissioning of all of these tomahawks, right? All of these mm-hmm. um, these nuclear warheads and uh, and putting sort of the Missouri and its history as like an atomic weapon uh, or uh, an instrument of atomic damage, um, putting that to rest and sort of uh, moving into this new phase of the American military project. Um, and I think that's interesting to think about in the context of what was actually going on in 1992, as you said, um, like post Gulf War and, uh, you know, the fact that President Bush's ratings were up because of that war after being completely in the gutter in the beginning of his presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was largely manufactured for that reason, um, so that we would have something to be kind of galvanized around after the end of history. And so, like, thinking about this sort of symbolic act of, okay, retiring these warheads, I think rings um, some interesting metatextual elements out of 
how we were sort of perceiving the role of American military at the time. Mm -hmm. There was a peace dividend. We were sort of like in this, uh, you know, supposed calm as a country. And okay, the only real threat anymore is just like these random madmen who are going to, you know, try to hijack submarines and nuclear warheads and and blow places up. Uh, yeah. But everything else is fine. Yeah. Well, and it's not just decommissioned arms, right? It's decommissioned men, decommissioned like projects that these people do, right? Tommy Lee Jones is a sort of like hangout from an attempted sort of like resolution to and kind of, as he calls it, canceling of a covert military project. And his, you know, whole scorn is because they basically saw him as completely dispensable when he was done with his duty and said, OK, well, now we need to kill this person. Um, that makes me think of falling down. I was I was just going to say, like the the anxiety of like disarmament and, you know, kind of like the the military project that drove so much purpose for such a large portion of like America, the American economy, the American government going away, uh, yielded a lot of really interesting kind of like action thrillers like this with this sort of like, well, we can't make our villains the Soviets anymore. We can't really make them, you know, the communists. But what about all this other kind of messiness that's happening as we're sort of shifting into peacetime and a bunch of stuff comes out like this? Yeah. It was definitely an interesting uh, period, for sure. I made the point online that there's like a prevalence of submarine, specifically submarine movies in the in the first half of the 90s. Um, that cool, all, cool boat cinema, I think I, I <laughs> cool, said. Cool boat cinema. <laughs> yeah. Um, that all kind of have this premise of a madman hijacks the sub and threatens a nuclear attack. And it's interesting to see that as the you know american government trying to find ways to assert the relevance of this once very powerful arm of the american military our na our naval system um i think like for a long time we were told this one specific guy is going to cause nuclear war we need to do something about it the Russians were developing all of this uh, submarine technology, um, all of this nuclear technology within the context of um, underwater warfare, and uh, we needed to keep up. Um, and then the Soviet Union collapsed, and uh, all of that was kind of neutralized. But we still needed to assert the relevance of this really big bloated part of the American military. And it's interesting to see these movies as part of that kind of PR project. I think the only exception being um, the U S government did not have any involvement in Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide. Yeah. They did not like <laughs> the script for that one. So Tony said, I'm just going to shoot your boats from afar and the yes. rest of it is we're just going to build on our own, uh, which is kind of fun. Um, but you know, we've talked about, and Jared, you mentioned, I'm gonna try this again. Jared, you mentioned sort of at the t at the top of the show that this is maybe one of the better of the diehard riffs that kind of came out of the 1990s. And I, I think that you're correct, first and foremost. Um, it was just like so prevalent through like late 80s, early 90s, even in the mid 90s, right? You've got uh, this one, Under Siege. Passenger 57. Yes. 
Passenger 57 is one. Uh, executive decision. Speed, you mentioned as well. Another one, technically, cliffhanger. Like they're, they're all over the place. And it's all like die hard on a something. Um, and we have talked about our fair share of like die hard riffs on the show. The Rock, Speed, what have you. We've talked about Andrew Davis in The Fugitive. And we've talked about the star, Steven Seagal. But we have not combined all of them. <laughs> Uh, like like we can for this uh, program here. And I'm interested, Jared, in your take on the Aikido master Steven Seagal as Hollywood figurehead, as action leading man, because he is, I think to put it mildly, a contentious character in terms of his output. Um, oh, we forgot about sudden death. Too. Such Such my, another death. favorite yeah that's a good one i actually love um, that movie yeah um seagal's seagal's fascinating i mean he's like you know such a bad dude <laughs> like i i don't know you know and I'm, I'm uh i'm so i'm so fascinated with like his um you know with his trajectory because i mean everything you know like his whole life basically has been has been a lie you know and and like and it's been like kind of you know perpetuating this this sort of myth about himself uh <laughs> when like even even though even though people are like yeah that's kind of like that's bullshit you weren't like you you weren't like in this in this in the seals or like any you know like there was, I, I i heard a story about um about like him having dinner like because he would he would associate with these like actual military types uh and like uh and he was out to dinner with uh with someone who and and he seagal starts telling this story about how you know about the time he was like he was like he was like on a mission and like re, you know rescuing you know rescuing somebody in the water and like and uh and and his friends like motherfucker that was me like i told you that story <laughs> <laughs> can't keep it straight. Um, <laughs> um and 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 the idea that like you know the legend of like Mike Ovitz just saying like I can I can make I can make this guy a star, yeah. And then yep. did, and he's not that charismatic. You know, like what is it? Like I don't know what it is about him that's like you know like how did he, you know, like Van Dam I think is super charismatic. You know, like mm-hmm. if, we're, if we're talking about like guys who were like weren't Stallone or Schwarzenegger who were kind of in that you know that sort of second tier action action stars like you know van damme at least like at least had that you know had something else was bringing something else to the table not mm-hmm. just the fighting but like he's you know like i said you know he, it, the movie just it, the movie works in spite of him and it's it's a you know it's a testament to like the script and the directors and everybody and the director and everybody around him kind of uh and, and i think the you know it's kind of it's also fascinating kind of how like quickly his wind that window closed because like soon after this it's like okay he does on daily ground that tanks he does under siege two um and then is sort of you know it's kind of downhill from from there executive decision which uh you know he dies in the first act mm-hmm. uh, and yeah i mean i like glimmer man like that was that was kind of his comeback right that was supposed to be his comeback was right. glimmer man and, and then you know it's been kind of you know straight to you know it's VO, straight to vod ever since 
And, uh, you know, all of that, I think, tied to what we've already said is that he's just kind of a terrible person. You know, he, the, in my mind, and, and I'm maybe going to catch heat for saying that, but like Hollywood's full of assholes, right? Like <laughs> lots of people who can be jerks in Hollywood and people who yeah. like we know very famously are like, you know, difficult people. And it's just, you know, kind of remarkable to see this guy who like by all means was sort of like an average Joe, like martial arts instructor who was turned into a star who out assholed like all of these other Hollywood types just by virtue of like, you know, being his totally thick headed, like ridiculous, absurd self by lying, by like throwing real punches at stunt actors, you know, by being a horrible, like misogynist and like, you know, even even like sexually assaulting people like he's just an all around like irredeemable kind of scumbag. But he's fascinating. Like he is really just like one of those like absolutely fascinating kind of figureheads at this time, because you do see him and you do see like the the people behind the camera and around him, like working overtime, trying to like keep some of the energy in it as he's like this sort of like charisma vacuum around. Yeah. Him. Yes. Oh, my God. And, you know, I, I know it's kind of a staple of the genre to sort of isolate your your lone hero to up the ante and make his sort of difficulty getting back and rescuing everybody, you know, all the more challenging. But it really is a thing of beauty and genius that Andrew Davis and screenwriter J.F. Lawton of Pretty Woman fame uh, isolate him, literally lock him in the meat freezer for the first like 35 minutes of this movie. Yeah, and I, uh, I heard, I, I read something somewhere that like that I can imagine Andrew Davis saying like we need to we need less of Steven Seagal because he's you know he the script requires him to be stuffed in the freezer for a good chunk of the the, <laughs> the movie. Um, but yeah, I mean he's uh, you know there's so many like there's so many stories like you know I, I sent you the link to uh the you know the troy evans uh 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 thing where he you know troy evans is like a, an actual you know he's a character he's you know he was a uh i think he's I think he died a few years ago but um he was a he's a guy who's in a ton of stuff was a was an actual vietnam vet who you know has a has a small part in this and uh you know towards the end of the movie that he's he gets more involved as they're kind of formulating their plan and they're they're running they're they're rehearsing and uh evans has to say something like uh, you know has to say something like that he the implication is he knows what he's talking about you know uh and the script requires him to know what he's talking about so they roll the camera and i say my line which is in the script and he says says you fucking pussy you fucking chicken shit motherfucker. I don't even want you on my fucking team. Get the fuck out of here, you fucking chicken shit pussy. You know, I've never done this in my life. I reached up, I put my hand over the front of the camera and said, cut. You know, and the, the director comes out from behind and says, well, what's going on? I said, I'll tell you what's going on. I said, I'm a Vietnam infantry veteran all of this shit this prick does uh, for make-believe i've done for real a hundred fucking times and i will not be called a pussy by him in your movie or out of your fucking movie Ugh. standing ovation 
And Steven, Steven Seagal said, well, why didn't you tell me sooner? I would have given you a bigger part. Like he talks a lot of shit. Uh, and, you know, but when you call him out, you know, when he when you actually like push back on him, he's he backs down. I think they they managed to wrangle him really brilliantly in this film, mm-hmm. not just by keeping him isolated in the bowels of the deck, but by sufficiently feeding his ego and also finding a way to keep him largely mute most of the movie, which is that a lot of the work that Steven Seagal gets to do in this film is like tactical shit. It's like him (laughs) makeshifting a bomb and like putting it in a microwave or like doing something with a nuclear warhead and like turning that into another type of weapon and like, you know, finding ways, uh, creative ways to like kill people or use things around him as weapons. And so like they're giving him stuff to do and, and they're giving him things to do that communicate his expertise, but he doesn't have to talk about it. He can just do the things. And so much of that is just footage of like his hands or, you know, they really try to like limit the, the halo of influence that he has even on the parts when he's not speaking. And And the other thing they do is give him a pretty lady to hang out with the whole time, which you know, he was happy about. um, And the, uh, the, uh, and they, I'll get back to uh, Erica Liniak, uh, but like in the, the exposition, it's all like Casey Ryback. Like you don't know Casey Ryback, like you know, or like <laughs> right, you know, yeah. You're uh, I, uh, what does the captain say to him at the beginning? Like uh, you know, he I, says, I, I, "If I had your stripes, I would wear them to bed every yes, single night." Yes, and I was yeah. like, "What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're a cook, um, bro." <laughs> um, and so like, it's it's all about like building that, you know, the the idea of him being this this uh stone cold killer without actually like you know having to see too much of him yeah um but uh but uh and i read uh and erica lineak actually like said like he he never uh seagal never was like totally professional with me on the shoot so oh of uh, course not yeah Yeah. it's not surprising Um, i I was reading uh actually from like a contemporaneous piece from like la times uh about the success of this movie and because uh, it, it was like the hit of the fall, apparently, like in in October, it was like this, and then uh, last of the Mohicans, and those were like the two big wow. winners of of the of that season. Yeah, uh, but I guess Arnon Milshan wanted to do the movie and kept feeding Seagal the script, and he kept kind of rejecting it and being like, "I'm not interested in it." And the reason he says for it uh, in this piece. He says that he had resistance to the film uh, because of a character, quote, who is at first a bimbo jumping out of a cake and gets paired up with me. But he said that in revisions of the script, uh, that the role played by Erica Eleniak became a character who gradually reveals her intelligence. Woof. And it's, I I mean, the funny thing about this, and I, I called this out, I think, online too, is that like, it's like incidentally feminist in a way like you could like <laughs> perceive it wrongly as him being like I wanted a care I wanted an intelligent like thoughtful female character in the movie but what he actually means is I don't think that it should be just some dumb lady who can stand up next to me she's and not do good enough stuff. to be my my like sidekick right because she's movie. just a bimbo <laughs> She's got to be smart, oh smart enough to show her tits. Come on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, why did they need, 
why was she the only person on that helicopter that was not in on the the plot? Like, why did they need, why didn't, why not just get a, you know, hire someone else who's like, who's in on it? Like, since everybody's, you know, the, 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 the cooks, the, like, they have a whole band, which like, I'm, you know, I'm like, did they, do they, does Bad Billy, the, the Bad Billy and the Bell Jumpers, did they rehearse this like before? <laughs> uh, like, because they actually sound pretty decent. Like, are they, yes. uh, mm-hmm. But uh, that was one thing that kind of like stuck out at me on this on this uh, recent rewatch. Yeah. And I wonder if they were like, we need to have this feel somewhat legitimate. So we've got to get a recognizable playmate. Like we have to get a real playmate so that the captain so that like everyone believes that this is actually a party. Yeah. But I agree with you. It's like a totally weird thing. And then they just like give her sleeping pills and like she wakes yeah. up and starts dancing yeah. like half asleep, which by the <laughs> way, like I, I, you know, Carly, that I hate using this term for things. Cause I don't think that it, it needs it often, but there is something legitimately and kind of like, uh, accidentally Lynchian about that whole scene where she like jumps out of the cake. Like it feels <laughs> like something very, very bizarre and like surreal and pulled from like a different I kind of movie. Yep. Where like she she just pops out of the cake and she's like, you know, in her underwear and like the jacket and she's doing this dance with her eyes closed. She hasn't opened them. It's lit kind of like yeah, smoking you know, with like with the overheads, the music's pumping and she's just dancing in an empty room filled with corpses. <laughs> uh you have a point yeah i don't know it's it sticks with me and not just because there's a naked lady in it like it's like a thing that's like oh this is very visually arresting and very kind of strange in this movie Mm -hmm. hear this gentlemen if any ships or aircraft approach within 100 miles we will kill the crew and retaliate with everything in the ship's arsenal bill this is tom what's going on hi tom you know what's going on. I have 32 tomahawks under my thumb, and the only thing you can do about it is alert the media. Mr. Stranix, this is Admiral Bates speaking. Would you please tell us why the hell you're doing this? Hi, Admiral. Six months ago, your boy Tom Breaker canceled Operation Cleopatra, and shortly thereafter, two young men from Langley showed up in Miami, tried to cancel me along with it. Now, you received each man's right forefinger in the mail, didn't you, Tom? Tom? Look, Bill, um... I know things are a little... <clears throat> or a little chaotic for you right now. Chaotic? Wake up, Tom! You know and I know that chaos and bedlam are consuming the entire world. UV light waves are only the beginning, Tom. We have an inch of topsoil left. Topsoil? This sexually transmitted diseases, deforestation, irreversibly progressive depletion of the global gene pool. It all adds up to oblivion, pal. Governments will fall. Anarchies will reign. It's a brave new world. Bill. What are you planning to do? Now look at my life, Tom. The life you people tried to take. There was Annapolis, it was Vietnam, there's War College, so on. You know, I missed the 60s, and I truly believe that if I could have been there to make my contribution, everything would have worked out fine. Look, Bill, if this is about reliving the 60s, you can forget about it, buddy. The movement is dead. Yes, of course, hence the name. Movement, it moves a certain distance, then it stops, you see? A revolution gets its name by always coming back around in your face. You tried to kill me, you son of a bitch. So welcome to the revolution. There's more to follow, I'll stay in touch.
Also, like, can we talk about the uh, the like great cat supporting cast of that guys uh, in this yes. movie? Oh, so many of that guys in this movie. I yeah, there's uh, Cole Meany, right? Is in this one the the Irish guy, the Star Trek yep. fella. Um, I I feel like once a week we watch a movie from like the the nineties. And Raymond Cruz shows up. Oh yeah, people people know him, you know, best as probably Tuco from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul now, but he was like in all of these kinds of movies in the 1990s. Uh, Clear and Present Danger, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Um, he has a, um, a very minor blood, role in Alien Resurrection as well. Yeah, Blood In, Blood Out. He and Damien Chapa were in Blood In, Blood Out together. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Damien Chapa is the one who's like super into Jordan Tate. The kind of like younger, like yes. more handsome kind of guy with the the, the guy who's like kind of a pussy. The one who's kind yeah. of a pussy, yeah. yeah. Which is funny because like he's the guy in the movie who like for the entire first act they're setting up as like really, really into Jordan Tate, where he's like, "That's my future wife. Like I'm gonna meet her." And then they mm-hmm. like kind of get that moment when they free them, and he's like, "Oh hey, it's you. Like here you are." And you can see that there's kind of this competition set up between him and Seagal. And then they immediately have to like undermine it by him being like, I don't, I don't want to go fight. I don't yeah. want to carry the guns. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. Glenn Morshower too, who's like the, the redhead um, uh, who you see, who's like military guy and like every, yes. every oh, single he's a, he's a military guy, 24. every yeah. single thing. Yeah. Yes. There's even, I mean, Tom Wood is in this. He's the private who's guarding him who you know is not maybe like a household name at this point but he uh works with uh davis again in the fugitive he's one of the u.s marshals along with uh joe pentaliano he's the one who like oh, that's right gets the gun held he's to like his the head and, yeah he's like yeah, the, he's, he's like the, the rookie, rookie guy during, right. during the awesome like i don't negotiate scene uh, and, uh, and then and he he and he retired uh tom wood retired after u.s marshals like he retired from acting Really? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. He does. He doesn't have a credit after that. Interesting. Wow. I, okay. Uh, uh, I, I I did. Uh, I watched. I rewatched U.S. Marshals a few months ago, and and uh, and did some uh, did some did some digging and uh, found that out. <laughs> huh. I always imagine when uh, actors retire, like at a fairly young age, that they just end up as like insurance insurance salesmen. I don't know why. <laughs> I think that's a trope of TV. Like I like, don't think like that's mid century. Like drive around like everywhere in yeah or just like in a cubicle okay you know like i i i have no reason to think that other than i think television has made me believe that that's what happens yeah that you like retire from like a life of like crime or acting or other like weird glamorous (laughs) jobs and just sell insurance i tried what liam neeson does in the commuter (laughs) <laughs> yes, <laughs> one that we've rewatched very recently. Yeah, watched it the first time. Spoiler I guess. alert, Jared. Wow. He is an insurance salesman. <laughs> well, it ex- explains why he's commuting, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, one other person who I do want to call out who is in this movie for a moment that Carly noticed immediately uh, is a gentleman by the name of Dale Die. Yeah. who is one of the kind of uh, white-haired gentlemen in that uh, Dr. Strangelove war room. And he is also, along with being an actor, a military advisor to Hollywood. He's not an actor, first and foremost. He is first and foremost a military advisor. Correct. He has figured out a job that gets him a lot of acting roles right. as sort of like collateral payment. Sure. <laughs> 
but you immediately <laughs> because Carly is one of the biggest uh, Band of Brothers fans I know, and she <laughs> said to me, she said, "I'm about ninety nine percent certain that that is the technical advisor for Band of Brothers." Lo and behold, Dale Die, you were very correct, mm-hmm. Carly. He, uh, someone reminded me recently that he's in Platoon, which I had completely forgotten about. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think Platoon is the, that's the one that kind of made his name. Like he, yes. you know, he was a Platoon and then I think Full Metal Jacket and that was the kind Full of Full Metal that, Jacket. Yeah. And then of course he's in Saving Private Ryan and he ran the boot camp for the cast of Band of Brothers and has a small part in Band of Brothers and was in this movie. Um, but he's, he is himself a legitimately um, highly decorated Vietnam War veteran, um, and I think a former Marine, um, if I remember correctly. And mm. he he rules. Like I, my sister is the the person who got me into Band of Brothers, and we watched that series over and over and over again. And like every bonus feature that came with it, and Dale Die is all over <laughs> the bonus features, um, talking about like how he trained the cast and. Um, and he's just a fascinating character, and I was really, really happy to see him in this movie. He adds an air of legitimacy, not just because he is making sure that they are, you know, speaking technically correct, um, like military terms and approaching tactics the way that the military would, but also he just like has the swagger of a military man. Yeah. And so like in those Pentagon scenes, it's gripping because he 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 brings the uh the realism yeah it's a, there's definitely an air about you know or definitely a presence about him for sure yeah in those scenes i wonder jared what your thoughts are on the kind of like rift between the military men on one side of the table and the cia guys on the other side of the table and kind of how this movie positions them sort of against each other there's some antagonism between between these two cohorts of of the uh um of the u.s government and i'm i'm just curious about your thoughts on that particularly like in the context of the villain being like a cia guy yeah i mean i think i get it kind of speaks to um you know uh stranix being sort of a the, the, the idea of him being sort of a a wronged you know soldier uh, who's been betrayed by his country at least at first you know um, and I think uh, it always struck me as like you know because I think you've seen you've, I'd seen it in movies prior you know like uh, or like things like aliens were like you know you're, these are uh, you're the crew's collateral damage they're expendable Mm -hmm. or like you know but in the um it it sort of like opened my eyes a little bit to like okay like the you know we're not maybe the military is not totally you know maybe we're not totally the good guys in every and every Mm -hmm. which is like you know you're growing up that's like that's what's drilled into you and like i think you Mm -hmm. know in the u.s like we're the most heavily propagandized country in the world probably in in that regard yeah Um, we absolutely are and um and you know seeing as sort of a different dimension to that uh you know to that uh you know i i 
which it's like the Nick Mancuso character who's like the I forget, I'm blanking on his name uh right now who's like he's smoking he's in the second movie he's he's this sort of like nervous suit that like you know is mm-hmm. is a uh you know is worried about how this is going to blow back on him you know uh and you paint the you know, painting the the painting the CIA as like you know bureaucrats or you know not not on the level of like the the people who are doing the actual work um uh that's you know that kind of struck that that stuck out to me again on this rewatch yeah i think you nailed it like the the sort of like palpable tension between the military guys you know kind of operating above board uh just like traditional america loving like you know pure hearts of gold uh military men and then like this guy that they basically make a lizard like he's in this <laughs> gray armani suit and he's like smoking the entire time and he's, and he's like, like the only guy who's not in a military uniform he's not in, in a military place. uniform it's like him and Seagal are the only two people that aren't in uniform in this movie and he's like talking over his shoulder the whole time and like he turns to another like cia guy at one point towards the end when it looks like things are coming to a head and they say like, Oh, well we'll just pin it on the cook. Yeah. And I just thought that was like, I thought that was fascinating. I I thought this movie's portrayal of the CIA and of like, not only the CIA's operatives, but the CIA's like head, like guys, I found this movie's portrayal of those people very interesting. Mm-hmm. So much so that I asked Aaron at one point, I was like, what do you make of this? Like, what what's the what is the benefit of positioning the CIA in this way? And I I liked your answer. I'm not sure I totally remember what it was. Limited hangout is what yeah, you said. I, I I mean, if we're thinking about it like in a nefarious conceit of like, oh, you know, like maybe this got the stamp and approval of some members of like the State Department or the military or something and they signed off on this or whatever, you know, there's maybe the idea here that it's like, oh, you know, this is a, you know, quote unquote, like far-fetched enough premise that uh, we can let this one slide and people will see it in sort of a fantasy and in the sort of like film context and say like, this thing never happens, right? We don't we don't actually have this kind of stuff, you know, where like uh, we don't exactly know what happened to those, you know, people that we uh, trained who were part of like the Mujahideen in Afghanistan in yeah. the 70s, you know, like that's not a real thing. We, we, we don't need to account for them. Nothing bad is going to happen to us. It's fine, you know, like so like my assumption is, you know, if, if there was any sort of like stamp of approval on this, that it came from an idea that like it wasn't something to worry about enough and it was like a sort of heightened enough and complex idea that it could get a a pass. If we can delegitimize the CIA through movies, then people won't have to worry about them actually doing evil shit. Sure. But also, I mean, there's an interesting kind of thread here with Andrew Davis as well, who like fancies himself something of like a a political filmmaker. Um, He has a background as a journalist you know, that's what he went to school for and studied in some interviews from the time that I read. He still kind of 
holds these uh, ideas and and these kind of wishes that maybe someday he'll become like kind of a, a hard nose, like, you know, bleeding edge sort of like investigative journalist. Uh, and he also has some quotes where he's kind of mentioning that he wants to push the boundaries of things within a political context within action movies uh, and has like kind of a fun line where he says something like, uh, if you do an intellectual movie that 20 people on the west side of Manhattan see, you're not exactly reaching a lot of people. So, he, you know, he does have these ambitions and his movies do kind of like, you know, we've talked about in in regards to The Fugitive, but like the bad guy in that movie, you know, outside of like the principal sort of antagonist is big pharma, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are these sort of like systemic players that are pulling strings and creating kind of havoc out of, out of these situations and leading to a lot of uh, real awful and drastic situations for individuals, for people. Which by the way, I don't know if you caught uh, uh, this line. I, I, I didn't, I never noticed it until a couple of days ago when uh, Stranix says something about like going to going to visit or pay, making a making a call to um, Devlin or sorry McGregor uh, McGregor Airlines in Chicago, which like is this like does this take place in the fugitive universe? Like what else does uh, Devlin McGregor have their hands in? Oh my god! Uh, I, I didn't totally miss that. that. But but I did think that was interesting that he specifically named an airline, and I was like, has he mentioned that already? Is that something I need to know? That's fascinating. Look at him go. <laughs> <laughs> little breadcrumbs everywhere here i yeah. love that oh my god i'm so glad you noticed it and said something yeah, that's awesome that I, went totally by me yeah i never I, I never uh i've seen this movie a bunch of times and never picked up on it i um, love that that's awesome uh one other thing that i think is really interesting about this kind of thread here and this may you know get us into a, even more conversation about tommy lee jones and his character and my endless fascination with with stranix but when he's first talking to the CIA director and all of like the suits and the, the, you know, kind of decorated men in the war room, he is, as we've already mentioned, kind of putting on a facade of lunacy. And it's interesting that his like chosen kind of skin that he wears is really just like a left-wing anarchist. Yes. <laughs> cause he like, hundred percent. Cause he knows that that will be the thing that will like goad them into like believing that he's really gone off his rocker, which is like, yeah. I mean, he mentions like, Oh, we only have an inch left of topsoil and you know, like there's underpopulation and like the oceans are rising and we've got sexually transmitted diseases and anarchy is going to reign supreme. He's just like spitballing all of these like hot button issues for what we would think, you know, as more kind of like, progressive or like left-wing sort of like social causes yeah um and 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 getting back to what um what you guys were talking about a second ago um i think all all the the cia military you know that tension it all kind of leads to like you know at the end we're like uh seagal is actually the one who's like yeah we're, we're not so different you and i like even oh, though yeah. like yes uh, there's like the rare is that is that the only time like a hero is given that speech? I feel like it's usually like a villain. That's a yes. villain thing. Um, uh, when like and there was a um, I read that there was a prologue that was cut, uh, which you know because when um, when they first meet, it's like I know you and like like yeah you mm -hmm. look familiar. That's that was left in there. Uh, it was it was something to do with like the operation that went that went wrong at the beginning, you know, oh, uh, wow. prior to the movies, oh, wow. prior to the movie starting. So like, so there was even more of a, you know, even they're probably making even more of a meal out of, out of that, uh, you know, with that scene. 
I'm so glad you brought up that final exchange between Steven Seagal and Tommy Lee Jones's characters when Steven Seagal, you know, despite his delivery, I think like is making a pretty potent and like I found it to be meaningful speech at the end. Um, And he really is like parroting a lot of these things that like, you know, we all talk about online all the time now, which is like, we're all like serving the same master, like this, this reminder to uh, Tommy Lee Jones and to the audience that like, none of them are actually in control. Like despite all of these antics and despite like Tommy Lee Jones, you know, trying to execute this plan and uh, Steven Seagal trying to thwart him, like they really don't have any real agency. They are just puppets of the, the bigger master, which is of course like the U S military and and the U S government and its Imperial project all over the globe. And like, I, I was kind of like rocked by that at the end of the movie because I was like, this makes a ton of sense. And also like, then they just moved on from it. Like they didn't like, then he stabs him in the head. They didn't linger (laughs) on it. They just like have a couple of weird knife fight moves. And then like, you know, Tommy Lee Jones gets, gets obliterated. But I, I loved that it was in there. It, it, it's clear that like Andrew Davis has stuff on his mind, about like how these people who are part of the U.S. military um, and all of its you know tentacles, how these operatives feel, like what their worldview is and what informs their actions. Like he is interested in exploring those things, and I yeah. I appreciate that it's there. To your point, in like a Rock'em Sock'em action movie, because yeah. this could just be you know completely bereft of any of those political um political insights but it's not and it it is actually additive despite the fact that it feels a little bit awkward at times for sure i mean it it definitely it's i think it's there's more going on than your typical you know steven seagal movie and you know it it probably only so much davis could put in there with uh you know with it being what it what it was we can't like turn into Syriana all of a sudden, you know, right. but it's, uh, <laughs> True. Uh, but it's, True. but it's, uh, but it's, you know, but I appreciated the fact that it was at least mentioned, you know, which, um, which I guess we could like talk about the fights now, like we, uh, the, the final fight since we like, since we already brought it up, but like, yeah, this is probably like, one Please. of my favorite, like mano a mano, like showdowns, uh, in a movie, like she got like, you know, the, the knife like pinging off of uh the inserts of the knife pinging off of his the studs in uh stranix's jacket like <laughs> yes uh uh and um that's and a, that's not, a sound editing oscar nominee my yeah, friend yeah. And, <laughs> and like but his death is so brutal like 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 seagal takes like bites the knife bites the knife takes a thumb he thumbs out his eye takes his knife, stabs him in the head and then throws him headfirst into a computer monitor. Like that's like, yeah, like just brilliant. I thought. And it, it has a crushing and fucking awesome, like badass like walk away line, you know, cause, yeah. cause Stranix right before said the difference between you and me, you have faith. I don't. And he stabs him in the head and he throws him through the monitor and says, <laughs> keep the faith Stranix. <laughs> okay, buddy. It's great. It's awesome. <laughs> 
But I, that the thing, you know, we've we've talked when we talked about Steven Seagal on the show before. We we did a show on on Out for Justice with our good friend Jeremy Herbert uh, last year. You know, he he was quick to point out, and and we wholeheartedly agree. Aikido is not a very cinematic or interesting fighting style, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not something that's particularly. Uh, like bombastic or kind of dynamic and and it's very kind of self-contained it's a lot of small minor movements and he does it a little bit in this movie and uh, those those moments are a little bit less interesting than kind of like the shootouts and the explosions and things yeah but this knife fight does happen to work and a big part of it is because of the sound editing because of that kind of like clanging and clipping of like the knife blades against one another and and the studs on the jacket and also like all of the little inserts in the edit you know like right away, we see like uh, kind of this like weird, almost like John Woo-esque like double up when uh, we kind of have like this like close up, like extreme close up of the blade kind of going twice into Tommy Lee Jackets, oh, yeah. uh, Tommy Lee Jones's jacket. Um, and then just all the little ones where we just kind of see the blade slice open like his hand or cut open his T-shirt. And uh, it, it gives it this kind of like, I don't know, really uh kind of grounded raw intensity like it's it's a very visceral fight scene for what it is yeah yeah and i i, I think a lot of you know a lot of movies from that era like even even speed which i'm a fan of like i don't love the final like i don't love how like dennis hopper goes out like i think yeah you know yeah uh or you can point to like a few other things but like the but this one just really like yeah like there's something very like just immediate and intimate about like just being in that like because you're you know it's not like you know they're not chasing each other around it's like it's not like you know it's close quarters it's like it's brutal and quick and like you know and that's what i that's what i love about it yeah it's totally blunt his death is like you know a flash and then like it's over i you know i pontificated earlier about like the political implications of submarine movies in the nineties. I also just think that like movies taking place on submarines were made because like the sets fucking rule and like you're already in a really dynamic space because there's hissing and lights and it's green and red and there's metal clanking. And um, if you're in the control room uh, or, you know, uh, or at comms, you are, you know, backlit by all of these like blinking lights. It's really, it makes really beautiful cinema. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something that I really liked about the final showdown between the two of them, that it's in um, the control room, you know, where they have the con and, and uh, all, all of the shots have been called from there the entire film. And then they have the showdown. Um, and I think two other fight scenes that, are really dynamic and cool and, and really well thought out are one when Steven Seagal's character is first sort of like running free and like uh, just shooting people down um, and, and trying to make his way uh, up to um, the main villains. He encounters the crew that is like, doing like metal work they're uh, they're 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 creating the uh the the pulley system or whatever to get the 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 tomahawks out of the yeah or something yeah 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 which i like how did that not exist earlier i don't know but uh (laughs) how did you get them how did you get them there (laughs) uh 
but um, but this whatever. crew is is making uh is like cutting you know these these big beams of steel oh, and yeah. um and there's all this like equipment there's saws and um and you know like knives and all all this sort of like metalworking equipment um and he dispatches with like five different guys in five different ways and one is you know by pushing him into a bandsaw there's like a stab that happens another guy gets like well- you know, knocked with a beam. It's yeah. insane stuff. There's some, that, that was a brutal, the, the guy uh, getting, who gets like crushed by a beam Impaled. and you see like the, oh, yeah. you yes. see for the POV from the floor, uh, like there's the, the gut, the blood, blood and guts just like oh. coming through the, yes. Um, oh, and, and, uh, and we also get a throat rip uh, in the movie. Yes, we do oh, get a throat, that. throat rip. That is so good. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm uh, saying. Like there's a ton of dynamism in these, in these fight scenes and it's, you know, for all of Steven Seagal's faults, I think they managed to choreograph around him really well. Yeah, yeah. I, they they uh, and I think also too, like the with the Aikido, like they're in the you know, you, you probably there's not a lot of room to like do that stuff and on the on the ship, so you have to like you have to make make him effective in other ways, which yes. uh, which uh, which I think is also why another reason it works so well. You know, he's not trying to we're not trying to force you know, force that into the, into the space. Right. For sure. Uh, I know we've already talked about her a little bit, but I do really like in those fight scenes, the way that they uh, utilize Erica Laniac's character and they kind of give her like the most sort of like chutzpah and like gumption out of anyone else in the crew. Um, I was remarking to Carly about this too, that like, I find it kind of fascinating how, you know, Laniac is kind of like, just facially sort of androgynous like she has a very kind of like angular and square sort of face to her and so when they put her in like the tactical gear and like the backwards baseball cap she almost is kind of boyish you know she's got like very thick eyebrows too and it almost gives this kind of like mixture of having like a a sexy like love interest and also like a kind of boyish sidekick yeah like a robin yeah, I wrote in my notes that like uh, she has a very '90s look, even though I don't really know what that means. Like, it's like, uh, it, it, like it, she was very like of the of that that era, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which and uh, whatever, you know, because I guess you know we go through kind of cycles of what what people view as pretty or you know, but uh, but yeah, uh, uh, that is an interesting point. Like her, you know, her. Uh, her her being kind of uh kind of fitting in a little bit more and with the short hair and everything yeah it's uh, yeah. That's, yeah that's interesting yeah what if she's we could, what if we could make sailor her sailor outfit right. at the very yeah. final she's like in a little yeah she looks like a little a little guy she's in the uniform it's like what if, what if we could what if we could make one character both marion and short round in uh, one mm-hmm. right yes uh but and I she guess, saves you know, and, believe- she, and she and she saves uh she saves Seagal from uh she like literally she, she, saves his life yeah yeah um, and, by, and, by choosing you, violence I don't like I don't like guns me neither and then like she wants <laughs> up taking out a yeah and like you know one of the things that I found so refreshing about it I think like Jared have you seen uh the the 2012 Dread movie with Carl Urban yeah I loved it it's a great movie. It rolls. And one of the things I like about it is the dynamic between Carl Urban as Dread and like the rookie recruit that Olivia Thirlby plays, right? Because she's like an attractive woman playing this like cop who has to embody sort of 
a lot of the kind of action cliches and be a fighter in the movie. And I like that they never like explicitly sexualize the dynamic, but she is there to be attractive and to be kind of like a counterpoint to uh, another like objectively beautiful woman like Lena Headey, who is really uglied up in that movie with like scars and all. Yes. And then at the very end of the movie, out of nowhere, he like plants that really gross kiss on her in in under siege. You yeah, know? it was like that doesn't happen in dread. It doesn't happen in dread, uh, but it happens in this where like the entire time I was like, okay, I think that this is kind of cool. I like that they're keeping it relatively platonic, but that there is sort of like a sexual tension there as well. And then he's like, I'll show you a move. And he and he grabs <laughs> her by the and grabs her moves. He grabs her hair. Uh, That's her hair. Like, it's, it, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was that was a little that was a little icky. What was the the letterbox review you said? Uh, you one read the, about one of our one of the friends of our of the show, uh, Nate. Um, if he's hearing this, hey Nate. Uh, but uh, left a letterbox review for this movie that just said uh, that kiss at the end was legit disgusting. <laughs> 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 It is. And it is. It is disgusting. Well, it feels icky because it feels really like non-consensual, you know, like there is sort of almost kind of a, there's a reverence for one another and you can tell that like Jordan Tate cares about him despite Seagal, you know, just not being a particularly charismatic performer. Like it feels kind of, you know, shoehorned in, but at the end they feel like kind of like buddies and then he's like, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. like she, and it just it just feels gross it almost like it almost would have been better if, it, if they'd worked up to her kissing uh like damien chapa instead yeah you know? yes i would uh, love that cause, actually because you, you you actually you take the time to build that whereas like you know they don't have like like uh casey and uh jordan don't have like you know the it's, it's not like crackling chemistry uh yeah. but no. I, but but I can't imagine like Seagal, you know, going for that. No, uh, he couldn't. He they, couldn't do that. They write, they they write his character in such a way that he's like he's seemingly uninterested. I was in just her. gonna say, like, like when yeah. she's naked coming out of the cake, he's like, put that away. He's like, put this yeah. coat on. Like, <laughs> get out of here. The other thing that's really interesting about Seagal that we have to mention because it's in nearly every one of his movies, but definitely in this one and in out for justice, the other movie we've talked about on the show um, is that he in real life and also in his movies likes to uh, quite bigotedly surround himself by um, black people and Latino people constantly Mm. because he thinks it like ups his street cred and it always like ends up, with just the most awkward exchanges in, in every movie he does this. And like, you can tell he really wants to assert his like brotherhood with these people that he is like, you know, from the streets, like they are seemingly and that like he deserves their respect and that he's like hard and all of this shit. And like, it's just so bizarre. Yeah. Have you heard, heard a joke about Blue Joe on the Bayou? Like, uh, like it's like the Cajun Patois. Yeah, that's the first. Like now, he he talks like that. Like he he like it, and like you watch movies like now. Like uh, and he like yeah. that's how he that's how he sounds. Like um like someone um the, the I saw one video that was like uh was talking about his current someone uh. 
someone compared him. He, he speaks like Prop Joe from The Wire for some reason. Now, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, I, I totally clocked that too. Like it was uh, there's there's a funny edit um, in the in there they're in the they're in the the kitchen um, and. Cue ball, show me some moves, and cue ball starts dance. Cue ball starts dancing, and then he cuts to like Krill, I think, uh, and then it comes back, and you see like two feet dancing, like because the last the last shot before the cut before they cut to Krill was on Ryback, and you cut to Krill, and then it comes back, and it's like two feet dancing. You're like, oh shit! Like Seagal's like busting a move, and it's like it's Raymond Cruz, you know, it's Raymond Cruz, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's um, the only other thing I have to say that is um, it's going to sound like a complaint, but I think it just adds to, you know, his like ridiculous oove, which is that like he would not at all be allowed to have hair that long if he was in the Navy, <laughs> like even if he was a cook. Um, but for Steven Seagal, it's a really short haircut, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I imagine this conversation between, you know, him and some creative on some side of the film. It's a fair compromise to let him have like, like... fine, <laughs> you can have like slicked back, weird, like Guido hair. Um, but then the other thing that's interesting is that he's like never in a uniform and they remark on it. Like the captain says, like, you got to put your dress whites on, like he says the thing, like, if I had your stripes, I'd be sleeping in my uniform every night, whatever. He's in like a chef's outfit complete with like, you know, a hat, like a chef's hat that he (laughs) tilts, like he tilts all of his berets that he wears. And then he's like in jeans and a hoodie, like he's never in a naval uniform. (laughs) It's just like, and you know, those are, those are metatextual compromises. They aren't like part of the character or like anything that has to do with like continuity in the story it's just steven seagal being like i'm going to wear this like unzipped black hoodie and a tank top and jeans and my hair is going to be not a buzz cut all right who are you and what are you doing here my name is jordan tate i'm in july 89 i was hired to jump out of the cake but i got really airsick on the way over here and so and this guy gave me these pills, and I don't know what happened, and I guess I fell asleep. What kind of babbling bullshit is this? I am an actress, okay? I did a Hunter episode in a Wet n' Wild video, and my agents told me that I was just going to come and jump out of the cake. How many people on that chopper? Um, I don't know, but it was full. And there was a band, and there was a lot of caterers. And where's the crew? I don't know. I didn't see anything. You didn't see anything, you didn't hear anything, and you don't remember anything. Look, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life, okay? But you have to believe me. I don't know anything. All right, I believe you. So who are you? Are you, you like, some special forces guy or something? I'm just a cook. A cook? Just a lowly, lowly cook. Oh, my God, we're going to die. Okay, you're coming with me. You gotta be invisible. If you walk by a hatch and you see the enemy, you become the hatch. 
I'm gonna give you this assault rifle. It's an MP5. There's a selector switch on it. One is fully automatic, one is semi-automatic. The definition of semi-automatic is for when you depress the trigger, one round will go off. That's what I want to give you. I want you to spend one round at a time. Okay? So, something else I wanted to uh, talk about is uh, Gary Chang's score. Yes. Um, yes. I think it's fantastic. Really good. It has like so really good. Oh, cool. Man, I'm so yeah. glad you mentioned this, Jared. What are your thoughts? Uh, I love it. I love the, I love like the opening, um, like the opening theme. It's a, like it, it, you know, there's like a, you know, the, the sort of metronome, you know, uh, sounding the, the clicking sound, like it's, it's just adds like an air of menace to, to things, you know, um, and there's another like motif that re- you know repeats throughout the movie that I think is just really like really like some really good pieces in there. Um, mm-hmm. And I think doesn't really get talked about or he you know he's a guy who I don't think has done that many movies, but um, but uh, but I think it's a really good uh, really good action score. It is this the uh, refrain that comes up every time Steven Seagal is doing like clandestine like fuckery. Yeah, is so cool and like distinct it has like a it has sort of like a almost like a like a xylophone tonal Mm -hmm. thing like bells or something going on with it but it's also like really menacing and kind of like has this air of mystery to it 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 is a really beautiful score yeah there's moments of it that kind of almost uh harken back at least from my perspective to some of like the the bradford l stuff that uh from from terminator and terminator mm, 2 yeah oh yeah uh and, and you're right gary chang does not have like many credits to his name outside of, i think this is like his most successful movie that he's ever yeah. done the score for but you know other notable ones he did like uh he did uh, 52 pickup and the island of dr moreau as well frankenheimer movies but he yeah he doesn't have many credits to his name after like you know the late 90s and uh, doesn't have too many like really big notable works either but really really good stuff in this uh also that his booyah bass looked like shit by the way i don't know if like <laughs> oh his booyah bass looks like total fucking shit I lo- it's just like brown water and it's like yeah. really runny like it's super yeah. watery i yeah. i thought the same thing i i worked in restaurants for like over a decade and have have had a good booyah bass in in my time uh and i was like man that looks fucking Awful. Awful. Steven Seagal uh, get, is an unbelievable cook. What? Uh, Busey, Busey was Busey was right to to spit it in. I think he was. Yes. Although he does have an impressive little like uh, was a chiffonade that he can do. He does like little. Is that him? No, it's certainly not him. For for those inserts, it's absolutely someone with actual knife skills. Because we do know that he knows ish how to use a knife. I yeah, but I don't know that he would be. Instead of throw knives. Yeah, right. he wouldn't be quite as I think aware of his finger placement and yeah. where it was like sort for of a in, nice chiffonade for a nice chiffonade. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a great cook in this movie for sure. <laughs> he's he's apparently uh, one of the best, and also like uh, he was. What did they say? They he he had it was either that or some other position were the only two options he could he could. Uh, take on to get to his 20 years of service right because of punching his superior officer yes and they picked him as a cook <laughs> it's it's funny that it's like oh uh, he he gets to say a cook and he gets you know this kind of free pass he's kind of like this sort of like 
maverick type character who keeps getting bailed out after his like tricky situations uh because the admiral loves his cooking yeah and it's just like funny to imagine that the admiral just like is i don't know just like completely like uh, taste blind or something you know he's just like <laughs> can't like everyone's like man this food is shit but like the admiral yeah. loves it for some reason like it's just it's just water and bread like i don't i don't get it yeah <laughs> but man he loves that cooking he loves that bouillabaisse <laughs> Uh, the last thing I will say, I guess, as we wrap up here, uh, is that, you know, we, we've talked a lot about in the 90s, there is this abundance of submarine movies, of battleship movies, of like military kind of like might and sturdiness in Hollywood. And I found myself mourning the absence of cool boat cinema in the modern context. And so I guess I want to I want to propose it to the group. Just the question, who do you think could do could revive, could bring back and resuscitate the cool boat cinema in our current era? Um I mean, you know, Michael Bay, uh but, you know, is he done? Yeah. He's one of our veterans, though, you know? I'm yeah, he's a veteran. Like, Who's the new, the, the young whippersnappers? But I mean, yeah, uh, I, team, so Timo, Timo was attached to a, a remake of this uh, at HBO Max. I don't know what happened to it. Oh, wow. Uh, but, uh, but he, you know, you know, ostensibly could be a boat guy or wants to be a boat guy. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, someone else mentioned this to me on Twitter, too, that there was like a kind of long gestating now sort of like remake possibly in the works. It would be kind of cool to see. Of, of a like a feature length film or a series? Uh, as I understand it, it's going to be a feature length film. Like huh. there is there is okay. that that dream in mind. But I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, with everything going on at, um, you know, with HBO Max, I don't know. Uh, you know, if that whatever happened to it, because I certainly I haven't haven't heard anything um, about yeah. it, or even if like, because I think their their slate, all the feature the features got axed uh, that were in development as far as far as I know. Yeah, uh, unless there was in, a, lean in content, right? The lean in for the men, the lean back content for the ladies, yep. kind of thing. Yeah, I was proposing that. I think this is a great time, especially with the failure of Black Adam. I think this is a nice opportunity for Yame Colette Sarah to maybe end his obligations to The Rock and <laughs> return to what he does well, which is mid-budget Liam Neeson collaborations. On a type of transportation. On a type of transportation. We've got a trilogy in the works here, folks. We've got the plane movie nonstop. We've got the train movie, The Commuter. Folks, 2024 could easily be the year of Yame Colette Sarah and Liam Neeson's boat movie. Yeah. He's, I'd he's 150% good. watch that. Um, some other ideas. Uh, I mean, bring uh, bring Matt Reeves back into the fold. Yes. Um, yeah. Get him away <laughs> from the Batman. Get him away Under, from the Batman. The uh, Under Siege, because he wrote Under Siege 2. Uh, that's right oh i didn't know that oh yeah uh, pre uh pre felicity days yeah wow um, uh who else uh, i would like to see uh i would love to see like a karen kusama uh boat movie that would be sick uh yes. she'd bring some that's cool a great answer dan, uh, dan trachtenberg's another guy um oh yeah it could be interesting um jc shandor nope. sorry 
Oh yeah, J.C. Sander. Well, he did All Is Lost, right? Yeah, so he, he did. did, he, did he did Tiny Boat Cinema. Tiny Boat, <laughs> tiny, <laughs> tiny boat Cinema, but Cool Boat Cinema is still maybe in the works. We for need him. big boats, especially now that he's leaning into that action kind of uh, sphere. You know, like Triple Frontier. So mm. you know he can he can do that kind of like bigger you know muscular kind of action movie. Yep. The setting in Triple Frontier is is much more expansive. He can. He can concentrate all of that creative energy into a confined space. Right. We'll bring him back to his all is lost and his margin call kind of mentality. Yes. But with this, you know, bigger budget and the canvas of a cool ass boat. Yes. I guess what we're trying to get at here, folks, is that there is a deficit and there is an opportunity here for cool boat cinema to return. I hope that we see it. I hope that we get sometime in the future a movie uh, as wild, as adventurous, as exciting as Under Siege. Thank you for bringing it to us, Jared. Seriously, I really enjoyed watching this movie. Oh, um, thank you for having me on to talk about it. I'm glad. I'm you know I'm glad. Uh, you know, uh, I'm so I'm so glad you guys had me on. It was our pleasure, and please come back anytime. Anytime to talk Seagal or anyone else. Open uh, invite. Where can people find you, Jared? Um, I am on uh, Twitter at uh, the official word. Um, I'm also um, Instagram, uh, which is mostly pictures of my kids. Uh, is uh, <laughs> Jared O Murray J A R R O D O M U R R A Y? Um, and uh, yeah, so but I'm mostly. I spend way too much time on Twitter and you usually find me there. So um, we all do. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. But I don't, um, I, I got to say, Jared, I don't want you to sell yourself short here. There are also plenty of very compelling videos of you showing off your excellent drumming skills. Uh, <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> I you, forgot about that. You were a man of many talents and I don't, I'm not to embarrass you, but I do think that it's worth uh, showcasing the wide array of things that you are capable of. Literary manager uh, and like bomb ass drummer. Yes. Uh, thank you. Thank you guys. So I, I just picked up, uh, I just picked it up last year. Um, who knows what I, if I ever get back to it at this point <laughs> with, uh, with two, with two, uh, kids under five years old, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, keep, keep the, uh, keep the chops warm. You'll come back to it right when you need to Jared. And it will, it will all be there for you. You'll be like, Okay, I've made it through the toddler phase of the youngest one, and now I just need to like hit some shit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I bought I bought it for uh, I I you know I was hoping my you know I could start kind of like teach it passing that on to my son when he's when he's old enough you know because um, he likes he likes going in the garage and like you know but he doesn't have the attention span to to really like <laughs> you know for for me to actually like teach him anything at this point but uh, right. But maybe one day. In due time, my friend, in due time. From our end of things, you can follow along with us at Hit Factory Pod. You can also subscribe to the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash hitfactorypod for bi-weekly bonus content. We will shout out our overlords, Linda and Jesse K. Thank you both so much. And we will catch you all the next time. See ya. circles up and down the black I'd ask him what the matter was but I know that he don't talk and the lady